You were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works in me. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel Proclamation today is the Epistle to the Church in Colossae from chapter 1 that I read to you just a few minutes ago and serves as the basis of our theme for the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, the only sacrifice we will ever need. As we work our way through Pentecost, the season of the growth of the church marked by the green foliage-like pyramids, our readings for the letters to the ancient churches turn to the city of Colossae. And the church at Colossae has received the gospel proclamation of Jesus Christ, and now the Apostle Paul mentors them and encourages them in their infancy of faith. Colossae appears to be a mission church out of the church at Ephesus, and most likely started by Epaphras, whom Paul refers to in this letter. The church at Colossae had all the problems of an infant mission church, and Paul addresses them. One of the problems was returning to the former religion, and the other was being enticed by false teachings in Christianity because they did not know the whole counsel of God yet. I absolutely love these epistles because they address so many of the problems that we have in the church today. And in our devotion to these letters from Paul, we can attack those challenges with vigor and confidence in God's word. And today's lesson kills the culture of works righteousness, not only from Jesus' day and Paul's day, but also for today. In Jesus' day, the works righteousness was directly attacked by a sacrificial system that had gone awry of God's original intent. We see this exemplified nicely in the chosen TV series we've been examining in our Sunday Bible and devotion hour. The priests were increasingly focused on the quality of the sacrifice versus what the sacrifice was supposed to do for the sinner in terror over their sins. The people were shunned when they could not bring the sacrifice appropriate enough in the priest's eyes 
and they lost their comfort from the removal of their sins. Today, we have a similar sacrificial system that is judged by our neighbor rather than by God. Too often, we look at the quality of the confession. We personally judge whether the apology was sincere enough and even whether they deserve to be forgiven. In doing so, we miss the fact that God does the forgiving and we are to be that vehicle for his voice of comfort for the removal of their sins. Our job in absolution is to stand and witness the glory of God and his capacity to turn sinners into saints. In Paul's day, and most certainly the time of the mystic religions, there was an actual attack on the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ. Paul's response in our passage today directly destroys any such notion as misleading and wholly destructive to the gospel. This is a rampant problem in the church at large today, and I imagine it is because of all the people leaving the Christian church. But the question is, did the people leave the church, or did the church leave them? Let me explain. Shortly after Marcy and I were married, I encountered this problem on the Auraria campus where I was finishing up my college education. A young man approached me one day and asked if I was a Christian. I was having a particularly bad day in my academic endeavors and thought maybe, just maybe, he was going to offer a prayer for me. Boy, was I wrong. I replied, yes, I believe Jesus is my Savior and saved me from my sin. Then he proceeded to ask me if I had done a series of ten things, all told, that would affirm I was indeed a Christian. I looked over his lift and list, and functionally, speaking over that course of my life, I did basically do those ten things. But that wasn't enough for him. He said, unless I did them just like the card said, in the order it said, together, all at once, I wasn't a Christian. Okay. Well, I got to tell you, it didn't take me long to figure out that he was clearly a brand new Christian being coached by some fundamentalist pastor and stepping outside of his paradigm was impossible for him to comprehend. So I politely requested that he pound sand. He didn't get to tell me if I was a Christian. Only Christ does. Now, I know why this church was doing this. They felt the people were not contracting a relationship with God. For if they did, the church could come back and hold them accountable for leaving and not obeying their original promise to the church. Stem the flow of the loss of membership, if you will. But I found over the years that the faith doesn't leave the people. The church loses faith in them, and often the faith of God in the process. So many churches make church membership about their programs, the clubs, social life, and commitment to the ideals of the group rather than to Christ. This can fall along racial lines like the Judeans in Jesus' day. This can fall along political lines like the Babylonians in Daniel's day. This can even fall along cultural and religiosity lines like the Colossians in Paul's day. Christians can smell this in an instance 
And when most Christian churches are doing this today, we should not be surprised at all when the Christians leave the churches they feel are no longer prioritizing Christ. One of the worst of examples of this I heard was from a friend I used to ride the bus with when I went to school in downtown Denver. She's a sweet lady that worked a temp job. She didn't need benefits and had managed her life economically so that she didn't need much money to live and the occasional temp job more than sufficed for her needs. We often talked about our faith and the churches we attended. And she had an interesting perspective on how churches were in the area as she attended several of them. One church she really liked. The people were friendly. The worship was engaging. And she felt at home almost immediately because of how inviting and warm the people were. Until one time she was invited to a church meeting held at someone's home with the promise of a home-cooked meal. They were all sitting in the living room when she arrived. A fire was in the fireplace. A roast could be smelled cooking deliciously in the oven. And she was offered a drink to just relax and enjoy the company. Well... After she found a comfortable spot on a chair in the living room, the attention of all the people were directed to her, and one individual took the lead by saying, we invited you here because we would like to talk to you about a unique opportunity that we all participate in called Amway. Now, Amway is somewhat less known today than it was in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So if you're not familiar with it, Amway business owners make money when their customers buy Amway products and when others in their organization sell products. Basically, multi-level marketing or a pyramid scheme, if you will. At least it was at the time of the reading of this story. So the particular church was specifically set up to recruit more people to their Amway organization and sell Amway products. Well, my friend politely declined their offer, and in church the following Sunday, she told me, Mark, they were so cold to me after that. Nobody talked to me anymore. Nobody looked at me anymore. And I felt like they didn't want me there anymore because I turned down the chance to participate in Amway. From that day on, I've referred to the churches that are set up just for the purpose of multi-level marketing and pyramid schemes as Amway churches. And I've never forgotten that damage those kinds of churches have done to the proclamation of the gospel. Now, clearly that's an obvious bad church. But there are more subtle ways that it does happen today. Just add race, politics, or a specific culture to the motivation for starting a church and you can almost taste the potential for exclusion along those lines instead of unity in Christ. And I believe that is what has started the decline of the church. As soon as churches tried to grow by recruiting along racial, cultural, and economic lines, they faltered in their mission to Christ. As soon as they tried to make churches places to gather that makes the people most comfortable and played bait and switch games like free oil changes for church attendance, or bring in personalities like stock car racers and movie stars or popular professional sports athletes that proved they no longer trusted the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ. Therefore, Paul makes it clear that the particularity of the gospel 
far outweighs any worldly ideals we have supplanted the gospel with. Word and sacrament worship far outweigh growth principles simply designed to draw people in as impermanently that may be. Devotion to God's word instead of social groups, party planning, and inorganic social manipulation. Christ at the center of our mission rather than the needs and the wants of any given individual that change on any given day. Real service to one another for Christ's sake, rather than self-service to hold up man-made institutions that will be gone once people lose their interest or run to the next shiny church with new bells and whistles. Christ has done everything necessary to make this a place where our gathering together is dependent on nothing but him. We don't need to bring our perfect plans to him. He already perfected his plan in us. We don't need to make the greatest organization of all time to grow. He has already organized the very originations of the world that will grow with or without us. We don't even need to bring the perfect sacrifice. Because he's the only sacrifice on the cross we will ever need. Amen. Now may that peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.